Hey, online family, we are so excited you're here with us today, whether you're on YouTube, our website, or on our podcast, we have a message just for you from our lead pastor, Jared Me. Take a listen. You know, today, um, as we start this new series, I'm excited because we're going to talk about worship. But we have church family not only in this room, we have church family today in places like um, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Kansas, Florida, San Diego, Bakersfield. Can you welcome all of your church family that's joining us around the country and around the world? Pretty amazing. We're going to talk about God and his power and what it means to worship. So I want you to stand to your feet. As you're standing, do you mind if I tell you something funny since we're talking about worship? I heard about this woman that she loved to be very loud when she worshiped God. In fact, every morning, she would come out onto the porch of her house and yell, praise the Lord. Well, after a few years, an atheist moved in next door. And every morning that she would get up, she would say, praise the Lord. He would jump from behind a bush and say, there ain't no Lord. Well, um, one night she was going through some challenges and she was praying loudly and saying, God, you know, we're struggling financially. We need groceries. The next morning she gets gets up, goes outside to praise the Lord, and there's a stack of groceries there. She starts to yell, praise the Lord, and as she does, the atheist jumps from behind the bush and says, hey, there ain't no Lord. I brought those groceries to you. She looked at him with a smile. She said, well, praise the Lord. God brought me groceries and had the devil pay for them. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, if you're an atheist today, we're glad you're with us. And you're not a devil, okay? Just a joke, just a story. I want you to, I want you to read, read this passage with me in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 as we talk about worship. Let's all read it together out loud. All of our, our uh, campuses joining us, all of those joining us on our online campus as well. Here we go. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We stop there. We're going to focus on those two words, spirit and truth, and what true worship's all about today. Let's keep reading. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. This week we're going to talk about truth a little bit more. Next week we're going to talk about spirit. I want you to close your eyes, but as you close your eyes, I want to pray a prayer for the shooting that took place in Texas. And Father, sometimes evil can get so common that we don't even feel affected by it anymore. And Lord, I, we have seen way too many things like this take place. And I pray, God, that we would recognize, first of all, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is a demonic evil force that is moving behind the scenes in the hearts of kids to get them to a place of depression, uh, to a place of anger. And so, Lord, first of all, we call upon you And we ask you to move in our nation. Bring a revival among our students. Awaken kids to realize that you're the answer. We also pray for our leaders. Lord, our president, our Congress, our Senate. Lord, all the state officials, all the people that are in leadership. We pray, give them wisdom, the things they can do, Lord. But also we pray that you would be the ultimate answer. Because we know that you are the answer to the world. Lord, I pray you'd anoint this service, anoint this time. Speak to each of us that we would know that you are worthy. Say this with me. Say, you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated today. It's interesting because when we read in that passage, 
It tells us that Jesus speaking about worship says there are people who are true worshipers. And he's basically saying that right now they're true worshipers, but what he's also saying is that that means if they're true worshipers, there are fake worshipers. There are people, let me say it this way, that think they're genuinely worshiping, but they've been deceived. They don't realize that their worship isn't considered true worship to God. How many of you know we live in a culture with a lot of the fake and the real? The word fake has become very popular, fake news, fake whatever. And you know, growing up, um, I realized that there was fake and there was imitation. And I'll give you an example. When I was growing up, one of the things that I loved was cold cereal for breakfast. Come on, do we have any cold cereal people out there? Come on, it's good, right? I don't care if it has sugar, it's good, come on. And my parents growing up, they weren't um, super wealthy. In fact, they were pretty, pretty uh, from an economic standpoint, pretty poor. And they, they served at a very small church, and there wasn't a lot of resources that came in. And, and so they were always able to buy the, you know, the most common, all of the name brands. And so you know, sometimes we'd come in for breakfast, and mom would let us have cold cereal. And we're like, yes, what are we getting? And she'd say, son, we're having Fruit Loops. But then she would open the, and, and the, the pantry, and instead of pulling out Fruit Loops, she would pull out Fruit Rings. Come on. And they weren't even in a box. They were in a bag. Come on. And we'd be like, oh, mom, those aren't Fruit Loops. Well, yes, they are. They're circles and they have fruit. And how many know that the, 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 the alternative, the fake, didn't taste as good as the real thing? Or sometimes we come down and we say, hey, um, you know what I'd like? I'd like to, to have some cold cereal. My, I got some new cold cereal from her. Like, you did? What do we got today? She's got, we got Cheerios. And then she'd open it and it'd be Toastios. Come on, anybody had Toastios? If you think Cheerios are bad, try some Toastios. You got the real and you got the fake. It even happens with jewelry, right? We've got the real thing, diamonds, and then we've got uh, cubic zirconiums, right? There's the fake and there's the real. And what's interesting is I think there's a lot of well-meaning Christians, a lot of well-meaning people that feel like they love God and think they're worshiping, But Jesus tells us that there are people that are deceived and they don't realize that they're not really worshiping God in true worship. And so we're going to talk about spirit and truth worship. We're going to focus on truth today. Next week, we're going to focus on spirit. In fact, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus literally points out and in the middle of the story, he tweets fake worship. Just joking. He didn't tweet. They didn't have Twitter back then. He tells a story about some, some people, and he says their worship is fake. And so I want to point that out because there's some truth that we can draw to help us understand what true worship is. Now, the, to set this story up, what happened is the, the, the disciples of Jesus were getting ready to have a meal. As they're getting ready to have a meal, um, the religious Pharisees that were all about tradition and religion and ceremony and law, they looked at Jesus and said, hey, how come your disciples aren't doing the thing they're supposed to do, which is to ceremonially wash their hands so they're considered clean before they eat their meal. You see, the religious people of the day, they were very caught up in two categories, clean and unclean. In fact, according to the law, if you were unclean, you were not allowed to go into the temple and worship. So they were always worried about being clean. Now, there were clean and unclean classifications, animals. For instance, a pig was considered unclean. But there were animals that were considered clean. However, there are also um, situations where something that was clean could become unclean. So, for instance, if an animal died that was a clean animal, once it died, it became unclean because of the death. So, if you 
touched an unclean animal that had died. In other words, if you touched a dead animal, now it transferred and you became unclean. Which meant that you had to go through a seven-day purification process before you were clean again so you could go and worship. I'm here glad we don't do that today. So they were all caught up in this ceremony. And they say, why aren't they doing what they're supposed to do? And let me explain what they were supposed to do. In that culture, when you were getting ready to eat a meal, you you needed to be considered clean. So what they would do is they would take um, a quarter of a log of water. Now, that's not a big log. It's actually the amount of about an eggshell and a half of water. That was the minimum amount that they could use. So they would take this amount of water, and the people sitting then near the table that were going to eat, they would put their hands together like this, holding the elbows out. And as they did that, they would take the water, and they would pour it over the fingers Because once the water hit the fingers, it then cleansed the fingers and became clean as they rubbed their hands. But then they couldn't do this because if they did this, then the water that had been clean, now that's unclean, could pour down on their arms and their clothes. And now their clothes and their arms would be unclean. And they have to go through the purification process. So they would hold their arms out like this. They would pour water over them, clean, wipe, and then put their hands down so that the unclean water would fall off and they therefore would become clean. Now remember, if you were unclean, you could not worship. Now here's what's interesting. They were so obsessed with cleanliness (laughs) that they didn't just cleanse their hands before the main course. They cleansed their hands before every course. So if you're eating a meal at at, uh, In-N-Out Burger, you're going to get your hands washed before the burger, before the fries, and before the shake, but how many need to wash your hands after you eat fries anyways? Come on, how many am I talking about? Because you get all that good grease on there, and then you want to lick your fingers, and you get in trouble by your, your spouse and all that, so you can't. Come on, man, you know what I'm talking about. Don't lick your fingers at the table. Just, just got in trouble for that recently. There was this ceremony, and so here's what Jesus says when he's talking about these people that are getting so caught up in this process Watch what he says. He says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, he says, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is fake. Hashtag fake worship. You see, they were obsessed with this process so much that they started worrying about the outside performance rather than what was really important, and that was what's happening inside. You see, real worship is not about outward ceremony or empty ritual. Let me say that again. Real worship isn't about outward ceremony or empty ritual. Here's your first point. Write this down. True worship is about the heart. True worship is about the heart. Let's go back to John. It says in John chapter 4, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in, what's the last word? Truth. What's interesting about the word truth there, I did a little digging in the, the Hebrew and in the Greek, and what I discovered is at face value, it means a solid truth. It means a reality. It Kind of the idea is that it doesn't change. I mean, we live in a world right now where truth is just something that depends on what you think at the time or what people say scientifically or not. I mean, truth is relative anymore. So in those days, it was a solid foundational truth. But when I began to dig a little deeper, actually, here are two words that popped out in the definition. Reality, authenticity, and sincerity. 
So real worshipers are people who worship with sincerity and authenticity. They don't just go through the motions. They're not just a part of the ritual or the ceremony. Now, I know for some of you, um, you would think to yourself, well, how is that happening today? You know, I don't, I don't wash my hands before I come to church. And, you know, we don't do that today. But let me just tell you, all of us, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in ritual. Let me ask, how many of you came from a background that was more liturgical, it was more conservative, um, and, and when to you, worship was you grabbed a book in the pew in front of you? Come on, remember those days? You grabbed the book in front of you, and everybody was more quiet. The only noise that was made was when they were singing, right? And then you would open the book, you'd turn to 245, you'd sing the hymnal, and you'd do the first verse, the second verse, and the fourth verse, because there's something wrong with the third verse. If you go to church, if you've ever been in that setting, you were never allowed to sing the third verse. I don't know why. I don't even know why they wrote the third verse. <laughs> and you might hear a choir singing. You might hear a, a, an organ playing. And people would quietly be reverent to God. Maybe that's your form of worship. And so when you think of worship, that's what comes to your mind. Or maybe for you, you grew up in a Pentecostal church. How many of you grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic church? Let me see. I'm surprised you didn't say amen with all that kids. <laughs> so you grew up in that. For you, it's when you walked into church and people are, are moving and dancing and clapping and lifting their hands and shouting hallelujah and amen. And it, for you, that is worship. But if we're not careful, what happens is as we begin to focus on the ritual, we begin to focus on the ceremony, and what happens is, is then our hearts are far from him. Kind of like, let me explain it this way to maybe get a perspective from God's view. You know, on Father's Day, it's coming up. You know, it would be cool if, or if my, my kids decided, you know what, Dad, we just want to honor you. And so they take me into the living room and they sit me down. And they're like, we're going to sing a song just to thank you and praise you. Yeah, I know it's weird. Um, and we thank you and praise you for, for all that you've done for us. And so they line up, all four of them. You know, the, the Bond Trap singers, they're all there. And, um, and then... They start to sing their song, and as they start to sing their song, I go, whoa, hold on. I don't receive that because there's no smoke or lights. How can I receive if there's no smoke or lights and there's nobody here dressed with skinny jeans and a cool hipster hat? How can I receive that worship? And I often wonder if sometimes we get so caught up We get so caught up. We get so caught up in our hymn. We get so caught up in the, the process, in the, the ritual, in the ceremony, that what happens is, is our heart is not connected. Because see, here's the bottom line. Worship isn't about a style of music. Worship is about the condition of your heart. Worship is not about the style of music. It's about the condition of your heart. See, your Father in heaven, he doesn't care whether you sing on tune or not. That's why the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But what he does care about is that your heart is connected. Your heart is connected, that there's sincerity, there's authenticity. Because true worship is about the heart. Can I give you the second thing? Now, this is going to sound contradictory, but it'll make sense. True worship is about routine. True worship is about routine. 
Let me just stop and say, you know, let me know we all have routines. How many of you have routines? Some of you, you literally wake up in the morning, your eyes haven't even opened, and you're already at the coffee, the coffee pot. I don't know how you got there. You, 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 just, you ended up at the coffee pot because you needed your caffeine fix for the day. You have your routine. We all have our routines. Now, I'm going to give you a little insight into my devotional slash worship routine that I do on a daily basis. And I'll be honest with you, for a lot of years, I struggled with my devotion time with God. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm a little bit ADD, squirrel. <laughs> Come on, how many here, you're a little bit ADD, squirrel? Come on, you, it's easy to get distracted. And for me, it's tough for me to go into my office and open up the Bible and sit down and begin to read, right? Because what's going to happen? The dogs are going to run in. And the, the kids are going to get up and be singing or turning on the TV or whatever. And, and it, it just messes me up. I can't think. My mind goes to different places. I immediately, as soon as I start reading, I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's some stuff I need to tell Pastor James. And then, you know, <laughs> so Pastor James is here. But seriously, I, I'm, I start thinking of, well, wait, I got to do this. Wait a minute. DeVette said I need to get this done before the day's done. And I start thinking of all these things. So I've developed a routine that works for me, and this routine helps me accomplish my goal. And here's what I do. First, I stretch. I know that sounds weird, but I have a Bible app, the Uversion Bible app, and if you search for devotionals, I found a devotional that's a one-year through the Bible app, where um, a devotion, where every day there's someone that gives a devotion um, verbally. You can listen to it, while at the same time, then they, they read a portion of the um, the book of Proverbs, they read a portion of the New Testament, and they read a portion of the, the Old Testament. And the devotion kind of connects the theme all the way through. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes. So for me, I start to stretch. And as I'm on the ground stretching and stretching out, because of the routine physically, it keeps my mind engaged where now I'm thinking about what I'm listening to. I'm listening to the word. Many times God gives me insights. Many of the sermons that I preach to you come from just listening to the Bible in those moments because suddenly, boom, God will open something up that I hadn't seen before. I'm like, I got to study that out. And so I go through my time of routine and as I'm stretching and doing my stretching and I'm not very limber, but I'm trying and I'm doing my stretching. I'm hearing the word. I'm getting my devotion. And then as soon as it's done, I hop up and I take off running. And as soon as I take off running, I put on a worship song. And as I'm running, listening to that worship song, I start singing. And I start worshiping God. And what's really cool is I run over the back of Hillcrest down on the Sloan Canyon, and which means that there's no cell coverage, which means I can't get a phone call. I can't get a text. I can't get an email. So now all I can think about is I look at the hills and the sky. All I can think about is creation that declares the glory of the Lord. Next thing you know, I'm praying out loud. I'm speaking in my prayer language. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for our staff. I'm praying for everyone because of a routine that helped me accomplish a goal. So worship isn't just about the heart. Worship is about the routine. And whether you know it or not, the Bible is filled with routines to help you engage your heart in worship. So let's go through a few of them. You all with me? Come on, somebody shout amen. Here's a routine. Number one, Psalms, first of all, 20, uh, 27 verse 6, and I'll show, show you this. It says, at his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices. What's the next word? With. Just the word with. You don't have to throw the shout in. Let's try it again. I will, at his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices. What is it? With. with. Then we'll go on. Shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. So here's what it's basically what this says. First of all, we need to worship corporately. We don't just worship on our own. We need to come together in the sanctuary of God for corporate worship. That's what we were doing a moment ago. But what the scripture says is when you do that, 
You need a routine. So do it with this routine. And so I'm going to go through the Bible and just, I'm not going to have time to show you every verse. I'm just going to give you the idea. But here are four ways, four routines that you can worship God. Okay? Um, here's the first one. Worship through giving. The, the verse we just read ago, a moment ago says, when you come into the house of God, bring a sacrifice. Do you realize that worship in the Old Testament was much different than it is today? And even in the New Testament, they would come and they would bring their offering. Then it was a, a, an animal that were, they were sacrificing to God, or it was a tenth of their grain or a tenth of their garden, and they would come bringing an offering. Now, why is that important? Why should that be a part of routine? Let me just say, we don't take an offering at the end of the service because we're just trying to get your money. God doesn't do it because he even needs your money. You realize that God owns the cattle on the thousand hills. Everything belongs to him. He doesn't need your money. So why does he have us every time in our routine of worship bring offerings and bring tithes? Here's why. Because God said, or Jesus said this. He said, if I want to know where your heart is. Now remember, true worship is about what? The so God says, Jesus says, if I want to know where your heart is, here's the way I'll find out where your heart and your priorities are. It's not going to be by looking how many times um, you came to church this year. You checked off the box. I was here 48 times out of 52. That was awesome. It's not going to be on how many hours you served. Here's what Jesus said. The way that I can tell where your heart is, remember, true worship is about the heart. I'm going to take a look at what you're doing with your money. Because he says this, you can't serve two masters. So when we come into the house of God and we bring our tithes and we bring our offerings and there's all kinds of offerings in there. It's not just tithe. It talks about the peace offering. It talks about the thank offering. Sometimes we just need to show up and give an extra offering because we're so thankful for what God has done. All of these types of offerings. So when we come and we take the offering and we receive that together, it's a routine so that we make sure our heart is lined up with him. Because now we're saying, God, here's the thing. Sometimes I don't want to trust you. Sometimes I want to take all my money and use it for me. Sometimes I don't believe your system. I want to do it my way. But instead, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to give you the 10%, knowing that you'll bless the 90% more. So I'm going to make my heart sub submissive to your plan. I'm going to align my heart to you. So I'm going to build this routine in my life of bringing the offerings and the tithes so that you'll know that my heart is really here for you. Because I don't want God to say to me, you had always praised me, but your hearts were far from me. I don't want this. I want this. And one of the routines of worship is to bring our worship through giving. Y'all with me? Say amen. That's good preaching. Come on, somebody say amen. Here's another one. We worship through physical activity. It was funny because... Uh, right before the service, um, my daughter, who's one of our worship pastors, and she was um, in the back. And as we got ready to come out, she's like, okay, guys, ready? Come on. She starts going like this. <laughs> she literally does jumping jacks. And I guess someone, I, did you post? She posted something about Macy and how she gets ready for worship. And she's getting all active. And you might think that's weird. But you know that if you look at the Bible, the Bible tells us that one of the routines to help us fulfill the purpose of true worship is physical activity. Let me show you where. There's a few places. First of all, we do it with our mouth. We just read a moment ago in Psalm 27 that we're to come before the Lord, 
offer the sacrifice, right, with shouts and songs of praise. Your mouth has to be engaged. Part of worship, true worship, isn't just about the heart, but it's about making sure that we're following the routines that God has given us to help our heart engage. And sometimes, how many know in a relationship with a husband and a wife, you don't just need to say, I love you when you get married and say, I'll tell you when I change my mind. You need to do it often. You need to say, I love you. Come on. Because if you don't say it, the question becomes, do you even mean it? So out of the heart and the mouth. So God says, listen, part of worship, knowing that your heart's engaged, is that you need to say it out of your mouth. You need to sing it out of your mouth. You need to shout it. That's why at the end of a praise time, I say, give the Lord a shout. It's not because we want you to clap so that the worship team feels better. We want you to clap because what? You're shouting and you're getting into the routine of making sure your heart is engaged in worship to the Lord. Amen? So he says, do it with your mouth. You can sing, you can shout. Then he says, another routine is with your hands. That's why we clap. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. It's not like we're trying to be like the world at a concert. It's because when we clap, there's, there's spiritual significance to all of this. If I had time to teach you, I could. We don't have time today. But one of the things is not only clapping, it's lifting hands. Now, I don't know why, but I'm telling you, the devil fights this one really hard. Because there's a lot of people that think, well, I'm not lifting my hands. That's, that's weird, you know. I'm not going to do that. And maybe even your background, your religious background, tells you that that's unspiritual or emotional to lift your hands. I'm going to think about why does God want us to lift our hands? You know, the Bible says in the Old and New Testament to lift our hands. Psalm 134 says, lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Did you know that when you do this, it blesses God? Now, I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, when I see my friends, Pastor James, it's not like when I see him, I'm like, It's not like when I want him to feel good. So it does nothing. It just makes me look weird. He knows if I have deodorant or not. I mean, but then I began to think about it, and here's what hit me. It's like there's a lot of things we could talk about, but think about your children. When you come home from work and you haven't seen them all day or you've been gone and you have a little child and you walk into the room and what do they do? Because that motion, what does it do? It says, I want to get closer to you. And so because they raise their hands, you reach down and grab them and pick them up. And what does the scripture say? Draw close to God and God will draw close to you. Could it be that God's trying to get our heart in alignment so that we can say, God, I want to get closer to you? Physical routines. Routines with the hands. Routines with the mouth. Here's another one. Another routine is physically is with our feet. Now, I know I lost a lot of you right there. Because your thing is, I don't dance. But I'm going to tell you, yes, you do. Everybody dances. Everybody has a dance. I guarantee you, if I, I called you up to the front and told you that you just won a million dollars, you would have a dance. It might be, woo! It might be, yeah! But everybody has a dance. They do. When you got that man to get on his knee and give you that ring, you had a dance. Everybody has a dance. So why is it that everything in the world deserves it, but not God? Do you know the Bible says, let us praise him in the dance? You know, I love in the first service 
we were singing that opening song, you are alive in us. And there's this one guy that was sitting over here, and he always does it in the middle of the fast song. It's like he flashes back to the 70s. I'm not kidding you. And every time we start worshiping with fast music, the next thing you look over there and he's like this. It's awesome. Why? It's part of the routine. How many know that if you want to get your system going, if you'll move your feet, maybe it's a spiritual sign that when we get our feet moving, we're spiritually making the statement, well, I don't want to be dead and complacent and apathetic anymore. I want to be alive. I want to know you. I want to worship you. So worship's about the heart. Worship's about the routine. Here's the last thing, and that's your knees. The Bible gives us physical routines for worship, and one of them is to bow our knee. Now, I know some of you immediately when I said that, you're like, I'm never going to do that. Can I tell you, you're a liar, because the Bible says one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. And whether you want to do it now or not, one day you will. So here's my point. Why not learn how to do it now? Why not enjoy doing it now? Sometimes I'll watch my daughter, Macy, or I'll watch other worship uh, team members, and the Holy Spirit will begin to move in a time of worship. And what do they do? They bow down. Routine. True worship. Because there's people that think they're worshiping, but they're caught up in all kinds of things. But God's looking for people who worship from the heart, authentic, sincere. But wait a minute, Pastor, what if, what if I came in and I'm feeling all down and in the dumps because I, I messed up this week and I'm feeling all guilty and I can't worship like that? Well, let me stop and tell you, since when was worship about you? In fact, let me take you to the verse that we're going to kind of bring this service to a close with. If you look in Psalms 145, it says, great is the who? Not great is you. Great is the Lord. He is most what? Worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. You see, worship, I, I, I began to think about the word worthy. We're in this series called Worthy, and, and, and when I began to study it out, I ran across that word. And what's interesting about the word worthy in the Bible is it's a, a word which means deserving of being recognized or treated in a certain way. The idea uh, it comes from is the balancing of scales. So like, for instance, if you have something that has weight here and you put it on the scale, Something else of equal weight has to be put to balance the scales because this deserves this. I'll never forget, I had a, uh, an, he, first he was um, kind of an intern in the music program that I was leading in worship ministry and he got saved in the church and he was traveling playing for Steve Perry, he was a guitar player with Journey and his name is Lincoln Brewster and he got saved, I pulled him into the band, he joined the band and Eventually, got, he uh, got called into ministry. I brought him on staff and became a worship leader. Now, he has, you probably hear his songs on the radio all the time if you've listened to any of the Christian radio stations. And he was one of my interns. And I'll never forget when I was trying to teach him to be a worship leader. One day, he came in, and he, he sat on the couch frustrated. He's like, I don't get it. He said, I kind of have this interesting perspective of God. I mean, is God an egomaniac or what? I mean, because he's up there in heaven just saying, worship me, worship me. Is he that insecure? And he was serious. He wasn't trying to be mean or funny or whatever. He's like, I don't get it. 
Is God that insecure that he's an egomaniac and he just needs everyone to tell him how great he is? And sometimes we wonder, is that what worship's about? But here's the interesting thing you need to understand. Worship is about the worth-ship of that to which you're worshiping. Let me explain it this way. You know, we were um, in New Zealand a few um, weeks ago, and when we were there, we had the chance for a couple of days to jump down to Queenstown, which is a separate island south of the, the, the main island in New Zealand. And this town is unbelievable. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful things that, that you could ever see. In fact, we have a picture here on the screen. And on this picture, you can see uh, Pastor Evan Carmichael and I are standing. But look behind us, the mountains, the, the city that we're in. We'd, we'd ridden these gondolas up to the top to take pictures. And they had these carts that you could ride down. It was a lot of fun. And so as we were literally standing up there, and as we literally were walking around the town, all we could say, and it, it wasn't just me, he did it, Devet did it, Shinobu, his wife did it, their kids did it, we would be walking along and suddenly it was like you'd look up and realize how beautiful it was and you would just say, wow, this is awesome. It feels like we're in a picture. Literally, there were times where I would stop and, and without even knowing it, I would go, my hands would go up in the air and I'd go, this is incredible. And you know what I found out the name of the mountain range is? The Incredibles. The point I'm making is that this picture, this place was so beautiful that there was worth and value. It deserved, that's what the word worthy means, it deserves acknowledgement. So when we think about worship, what happens is, is it's not about us and how good we are and what we've done and whether we had a good week or a bad week or whether we're really good or whether we sinned. It has nothing to do with those things. And the devil will try to tell you that. Well, you can't worship today because I see what you did. Listen, you remind the devil that worship has nothing to do with you. Worship has everything to do with the worship and the glory and the wonder of the goodness of God. And whether you, things went well or things went bad, whether there was a shooting or there wasn't a shooting, God didn't fall off the throne this week. He's still on the throne. He's still worthy of all honor and all glory and all power and all majesty. And so what he's trying to do is awaken our hearts because when your heart gets in the right place and you see that, wait a minute, this is the one who died for me. This is the one who saved me. This is the one who changed me. What happens is you find yourself singing a song that was written about this, and it sounds like this. Because when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come Longing just to bring something that's of worth that'll bless your heart. I bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within than the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. 
It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, but it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Why don't you just lift a hand towards heaven for a minute? Lord, this is about you. It's not about us. It's about your worth. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. All power, all praise, all honor be to the Lamb who was slain. You are incredible. You are amazing. You are worthy. Say that. You are worthy. Say it one more time. You are worthy.